He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole. Taylor Williams here hosting for the second show in a row. I love doing it so much that I just went ahead and hoarded the sound equipment so no one else could do it. Got <laughs> the legend Sam Humphreys with us back from vacation. Uh, Colby Powell's out doing whatever the hell that he does anymore. And uh, Jim Woodward is down in Florida. Just got done playing Doral yesterday, from my understanding. So uh, we'll have a lot to talk about on our next show with, with him. But uh, Sam, just got back from vacation. Branson with the in-laws. Give us the rundown. How was it? Yeah, hey, it was really fun with the in-laws. I did get a chance to play golf one day. I played Top of the Rock Par 3 course, T-Dub, and it was big time. It was one of the nicest Par 3 courses I have ever played. Um, and I really enjoyed going through the clubhouse and seeing all the Jack Nicklaus uh, memorabilia they have in there. So it was, it was a really cool experience up there at Top of the Rock. Do the pictures that we see on the internet and that go around, Sam, do they do it justice? Just because it's one of those places that you, you don't really experience it until you're there with your feet on the ground, right? Yeah, the views are immaculate out there. But the, the difference is when I went, the range had already sunk in. There was a, a sinkhole that sunk about, I don't know, 100 feet down into like this cave, right? And that's where you would always see those pictures of that immaculate range that they had, D-Dub, and, and they, they don't have that anymore. They're actually turning it into uh, a cave tour. But out on the course, I mean, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's about as nice of a par three course as you could find. And we played the par three course because my in-laws aren't really golfers, and I figured it'd be a little more fun for them to uh, make them go play Payne Valley or something like that. No doubt, and I know you're probably dying to talk about the live, as uh, they like to call you, Saudi Sam, around here, but you got to let us know, Sam, <laughs> how, how did you play? How, how was the game at the top of the rock? It was pretty good. I made four birdies and one bogey on the par three course, and I wasn't even hitting my irons very good at all. I was hitting the middle of the greens and draining some long putts, so apparently the way to fix your terrible putting, ladies and gentlemen, is to just take about six months off in between times that you play. Well, I'll tell you what, Sam, if you're going around making putts, man, you're going to be tough to beat because, uh, you know, you, you'll admit it yourself, that's kind of been your kryptonite over your career. No so, doubt. you know, if you're able to uh, fix the weak strings, then you'll be be all set and start contending in some more events. So, But let's go ahead and get on to the to the main topic, Sam. We had, uh, obviously, Liv Bedminster that went on the last three days. Henrik Stinson, the former European Ryder Cup captain, goes out and just makes an absolute statement. Shoots 64 in the first round, follows it back with two straight 69s. Nice, by the way, to finish at 11 under for the tournament beat a local favorite Matt Wolf by two shots along with Dustin Johnson who made a clutch putt on 18 ended up tied second earned a decent amount of cash there so Sam just kind of give us oh I also want to throw out that the four aces won as well the team competition they're essentially now the Golden State Warriors of the lifters so just kind of give us your overall thoughts Sam on what you saw at Bed- Bedminster the last few days well I've heard a lot of people that didn't watch the golf tournament say well, you know, the Ryder Cup captain, the washed-up Ryder Cup captain, won in his first time out there. Well, they clearly didn't watch the golf because Henrik Stinson, on a major championship venue, went out there and was second in fairways hit, second in greens and regulation, sixth in putting, and first in birdies made. And he beat the likes of Matthew Wolf, Dustin Johnson, Carlos Ortiz, who's been playing great golf, Patrick Reed, Paul Casey, Sergio Garcia, these are name brand guys 
T-Dub. And Henrik Stinson went out there and, like he said, played like the captain that he should have been. Well, too, you just kind of mentioned that there are all those names that are up there. I mean, you even scroll down. I understand he wasn't in the tournament, but Bruce Koepka finishes 11th. Taylor Gooch has kind of a bad a bad Sunday to finish down in 10th. You had Lee Westwood up there, Sergio, Paul Casey. It's just... You know, and, and we'll get into a little bit more here in a little bit, just the comparison between uh, the Live and the Rocket Mortgage. But, but Sam, it's just I get people want to talk so much smack on it, but when you just watch the golf and you see – like, you don't even have to watch the golf. You know these names are going to play good golf. Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed been playing good golf for the last how many ever months now. I know Paul Casey's had an injury, but he's one of the best ball strikers really of all time. So it's just you look at the end results, you don't even have to look at the product to know that it was good because all these players are exceptional and probably better than what the uh, Rocket Mortgage had at the top of their leaderboard. A hundred percent, T-Dub. And the main guy that I see a huge difference in on the live is Matthew Wolf. He looks to be having fun, him and Nick Heinen. Uh, I'll get to Mike Heinen in a second. He got a shout-out on the broadcast accidentally, <laughs> if you heard Jerry Fult. Uh But anyways, but yeah, Matthew Wolf just looks so happy and, and relaxed out there. And T-Dub, this week, he led the field in total putting and shoots seven under on the uh, on on Sunday, I almost said Saturday. Normally it's a Saturday, and this week it was a Sunday. In the final round, he shoots a seven under, bogey free with an eagle. It was unbelievable to watch Matthew Wolf kind of come out of that shell that he was in and, and really really flourish. And I and I think that this is going to be the start to some really solid golf we see from Matthew Wolf. And I think a lot of people around here are really rooting for him. And that's something I want to get into a little bit more, Sam, because I think it's a very extremely underrated thing because, you know, everyone talks about these guys that leave, right? And they think that, oh, well, they just did it for the money or whatever. But in my opinion, someone like Matt Wolf, and I even put Bryce in that category too that's dealt with injuries, it's you need that that amount of certainty that what's going to happen after you get done golf isn't going to be the end of the world, right? So we, we saw Matt exactly. Wolf. We yeah. saw Matt Wolf in a few uh, his first tour events at the start of this year. You know, kind of battling what he dealt with at the end of last year, and he just didn't play very good. And it's not only was he not even he wasn't even really getting close to cuts. You know, and I think a lot of that Sam just had to do with the amount of pressure you had on yourself to keep going. And I think that him being able to get in these fields that are a little bit smaller. You know, you can finish DFL and, st- and still make a check, and he got the guarantee money and stuff. I just think that that's a thing that people look at like a lot of guys and think that well they just got the money their game's going to get worse I think Matt Wolf is the perfect example of someone who could actually get better just from having the little more off the course security than he had going in Sam 100% and I agree and by the way he's on the high flyers golf club T-Dub and Nicholson Giesberger and Harding should all owe him some steak dinner because uh, Wolf was 7 under Harding was 1 under Beesberger was two over and Phil was even for the golf tournament. Uh, wow. and, oh, no, 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 no. That was in round three. So let, let me add this up here. Uh, Wolf was nine under, obviously. Phil was six over. Uh, Beesberger was five over. Um, and Harding was one over for the golf tournament. So even even more of my point, right? Yeah, no doubt. And let's kind of get into that that team portion. You kind of mentioned the scoring there. I want to go ahead and reemphasize the scoring that people are listening because I didn't even really understand it when it first started. So it's a three-round event, obviously. So the first round, the first two days, the team will count two of the four scores, whatever the two of the four best, so the top 50%. But on the third round, they count three of the four. So there's a little bit more pressure to have a good final round. Matt Wolf definitely stepped up with seven under yesterday. But, but Sam, we've talked about this along the radio show and even a little bit more 
the team aspect just adds so much more fire and different interest into it, right? I mean, even yesterday, I'm watching the shootout for the third place. It seemed like the Majestics and the four aces had one and two sewed up almost all day, but you had the fireballs, you had the high flyers, you had the stingers who ended up making a little bit of run down there. And, that, and for me, saying that's, you know, that's some cash on the line, and that's something that, that for me, it's you look at a regular tour event, you don't have that aspect. You may see the guys who are finishing second, third individual as a guy going to make or miss a putt for some money. And we already have that on the lid, but you had the extra element of the team and like the last one in Portland where you had uh, Carlos Ortiz make the putt on 18 and everyone on his team just started going crazy because they ended up making that much more money. So just kind of dive into how much, Sam, the, the team aspect is actually making uh, these events a lot better. I thought yesterday was a perfect example of how phenomenal this format is. When Simpson kind of has it sewn up, I mean, he kind of could have he could have made a couple mistakes coming down the stretch and made it close, but he kind of had the tournament in the bag. And we had the four aces and the Majestics battling it out down the stretch. It was actually tied at one point uh, with like ten holes to go, nine holes to go. Uh, and T-Dub, I mean, Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter of the Majestics, Westwood bogeys. 11 and 18 and Ian Poulter he he goes ahead and he bogeyed one and two but then he brought it back but then he bogeys 12 and 14 he does if you look at the team scores it doesn't reflect how close that battle actually was the ace the four aces finish at 25 under the Majestics finish at 17 under but with nine holes to go those teams were tied I thought it was electric uh to watch there on that back nine not only with Stinson making the statement that he made, but the team aspect as well. Oh, there's absolutely no doubt about it. And, you know, just get on to the guys that won the team aspect, the four aces. I want to talk about our man Pat Perez because he is he is on a nice train right now that is one he should never want to hop off of. So I just want to list the guys on the four aces how they did. Dustin Johnson finished third, or tied for second, I apologize. Uh, Patrick Reed finished fifth. Uh, Taylor Gooch finished uh, tied ninth, or tied seventh, I believe. Yeah, sorry, this is all, it's all added up weird um, here because it's got one through ten or whatever, and they're not tied. But you can scroll all the way down, and Pat Perez finishes essentially 31st, Sam. He shoots 70, 77, 71, and he can just go to every event and make 750K. That's a pretty good gig to me, Sam. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting to see. Once we see more guys come to the live, you're going to see better teams, which means you're going to see even name brand guys like a Pat Perez maybe become a free agent if the four aces want to make a change there. And if Dustin Johnson wants to make a change right now, or if the, the team owner who, you know, I think they're going to, the teams are going to get sponsored eventually. If the team owner wants to make a change, I think that that could be a really entertaining part of kind of off season golf or off week golf where, you know, a team makes a change and picks up a free agent. I think that this could kind of be a perfect example because right now Pat Perez is kind of riding Taylor Gooch's and, and, and Dustin Johnson and Patrick Reed's coattails. You know, you know, Sam, I was talking with some buddies uh, the other day, and it's something I hadn't really fully thought about until all this has kind of started to come together. But, you know, a lot of people, like you just mentioned, talking about the free agent possibilities, especially in the offseason. Do you think we get to a point to where, like, next year there's 14 events? Do you think, because, like, with the NBA trade deadline coming up is the reason I'm thinking about it, but do you think that we can get to a point to where, like, let's let's say you play four events, right? We could just have a midseason trade where we trade one or two of our players and just kind of flip-flop like that? I think that's what we talked about on the radio show yesterday. I mean, Phil Mickelson, one of his favorite parts about this live series tour next year is the fact that they can kind of fly by the seat of their pants and make, make changes where there needs to be changes. I think that that could be a really cool aspect 
of the live that you could have a trade deadline. You can make some trades and, and captains could get together and, and kind of do different things with the teams. And, and I think that, you know, as long as the players are cool with it, I think it's a really good possibility. Now, I've heard that these players do own certain aspects of the team. And so I don't know uh, how that would work if a player gets traded. Does their, you know, uh, percentage in the four aces or whatever go to the Majestics, right? I don't know how that would all work out, but I'm sure that someone smarter than us can figure it out. Well, that's a good point because, you know, you think about an NBA team, right? You know, like Kevin Durant currently doesn't own any stake in the Brooklyn Nets or anything like that, you know, and it's like like Clay Bennett, the Oklahoma City Thunder, isn't going to get traded. So it's, you know, it's just right. an interesting dynamic that's something, you know, think about it, and I agree with you. I hope that at some point the uh, those players do have a little bit more ownership in their team and have a little bit more control, which is essentially what, what the whole Live thing's been about. Um, but I know the main thing that most people have been focusing on the Live, Sam, is the payout. So I just want to go ahead and get on that real quick. Obviously, Stinson made uh, the $4 million. That's been uh, wide known out there. Uh, Dustin Johnson making that clutch put on 18. Got him tied with Matt Wolf second place. They each made $1.8 million each. Uh, not bad for, for three days of golf. Carlos Ortiz solo fourth. Netted him over a million dollars. Patrick Reed solo fifth. 975K. Our boy Taylor Gooch ended up finishing tied sixth. That's $648,000. Just to put that into perspective, Sam, all the guys, so Paul Casey, uh, Garcia, uh, Turk Pettit, Lee Westwood, and Gooch all finished tied sixth. They each made six hundred. And forty-eight k at the Rocket Mortgage, Sam. Uh, the guys that finished tied second behind Finau, Cantlay, Cam Young, and Taylor Pendriff at twenty-one under, each made six hundred thirty-five thousand. So uh, definitely a nicer payday for the guys uh, over on the live. You can finish tied sixth over there and make a better day than tied second at the Rocket Mortgage. Absolutely. Listen to this one. Patrick Reed came in fifth and made more money than Tony Finau did. He, Reed made one point seven two five million. And Finau made one point five or one point five one two million. That's just, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, just going to have the question of why these guys are over there. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious at this point. But you know, let's get back onto the track of just how good the the whole presentation was because, you know, I want to talk about Faraday and Jerry Fultz. I think their team is doing a really good job being able to kind of bounce off each other. But Sam. The main thing that I think makes great golf tournaments is the golf course, right? And the last few golf courses that the Liv has been able to play on for the first three events have been absolutely spectacular. Trump Bedminster is, it it honestly blew my expectations away. If they ended up having the PJ Championship there, I think we all would have been extremely happy with that course just because it seemed like it was in such good shape, had such a really solid design. It's going to test all aspects of your game, and you're not going to go out there and be able to fake it around. You're going to have to hit the quality shots. It's obviously a lot different than Southern Hills, but it's in the same realm in the sense of, you know, you're not going to get away with stuff if you don't hit the shot that the hole and and the course and the wind and everything demands that day because the wind did blow pretty hard on the second day up at Bedminster, Sam. That's why the scores were a lot higher. But just kind of tell us your overall thoughts on the course because, like, kind of like we talked about yesterday on the radio show, we were both very impressed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Henrik Stinson wins at 11-under, but T-Dub, what, what makes Bedminster so good is the fact that they can make it as hard as they want. I mean, the rough wasn't really up, but it was hard enough, right? And, and we saw the course play really tough, especially the first two days. You mentioned the wind. On the first day, it was just super wet. Um, and, and, and didn't get much rollout on the course. And so um, it, it really favored guys that were putting well because guys were having long clubs into the greens. I thought that the course just looked so pure, and there's so much room out there. I didn't realize when, when I heard New Jersey, I'm kind of thinking more tree line. There's a lot of room out there um, 
um, you know, for a major championship to have kind of, you know, tents and fans and all that stuff. So I thought it was a great venue. Um, and, and I thought that, you know, Henry Stinson played the best golf this week. Matt Wolf played the second best golf this week, along with Dustin Johnson. This course produced the best leaderboard that it could possibly produce. Well, and I'll tell you what you need for a great golf course like that. You need the best uh, golf cleaner club around. That's Groovit Brush. You know, check them out at GrooveItBrush.com. You can use our promo code 73rd hold. That's 73. The number's not spelled out. We've had that asked before. R-D-H-O-L-E for 10% off the brush. It's one of the best brushes out there. I, you can either t- use the magnet, take it off so you don't have to deal with the nasty wires and all that stuff. Or I actually have a friend who takes it off of his bag and puts it on the little metal rim part uh, that's on the cart. So a lot easier access. So not only is it the best brush in golf it's the most versatile brush so like i said check them out grooveitbrush.com promo code 70 hole for 10 percent off today so sam right before uh we started talking about the course i kind of brought up uh david Faraday and jerry fultz and we were both extremely extremely pleased w- with what we saw on that front obviously david Faraday been doing this for a number of years now but it was his first live so we are going to sit back and kind of critique everything that went on and i'll say this I thought that he is he is the absolute tailor-made person for the Live Tour because not only does he bring funniness and also excitement to it, but he also knows when to take it seriously. And you could tell on the last nine holes yesterday, he was dialed in and brought his A stuff. So, Sam, just give us on a scale of 1 to 10 what you thought of, of the broadcast and Faraday's first attempt. I mean, in the first attempt, I'd have to get it, give it like an 8, 8.5 or 9. I mean, the fact that Jerry Fultz and Faraday – uh, first time working together at the live, I thought it sounded great. And by the way, T-Dub, I don't think a lot of people realize that Faraday was an on-course reporter, right? Now he is in the booth. And so we get to hear him commentate on pretty much every single shot. And, and his one-liners, his quick wit, Faraday is the best in the business, T-Dub. And live is just far and away a better product and better broadcast than we see on NBC or CBS. Um, and, and it's so much more entertaining. Like I said yesterday on the radio show, if you put a kid that doesn't care about the PGA Tour or live, they will favor watching the live because it's more entertaining. It's more shots. It's not as long. It's only four and a half hours. There's a team aspect to it. And there's no commercial P-Dub. We get Faraday and more golf with no commercials. Oh, oh, Sam! Over these over the last two days, I was almost glued to the TV on, on both days, and I would flip through. I'd flip from the Live, and I'd flip to the PJ Tour, and it was it was unbelievable because I would flip to the Rocket Mortgage. I'd watch maybe three shots before they flipped to a commercial, maybe four if I was lucky, and that includes putts. And it was just crazy. I'd fl- so I'd flip over, watch the Live back again. It would. It just kept on going. It gained my interest so much because that's one of the things that, especially with TikTok and short videos and stuff like that, now it's so hard to keep people's interest and keep them entertained for longer than a few seconds worth of time. And that's one thing that I think the PGA Tour is going to have to battle with going forward because, look, I understand with the way that their business model has been over all these years, you have to do that. And the commercials are the way you make a decent amount of your money. But at the same time, when your competitors are doing stuff that is better and obviously producing a better product than that, you're going to have to be able to kind of tailor some things around. And, and like, they, they've tried to do that with no playing through. But at the same time, it, it's the same because my whole – the entire screen gets so small, I can't see anything. So it's – I completely agree with you, Sam. I, I think that the no commercials is probably the best thing. But one thing that I noticed, especially on, on Saturday, and I want your thoughts on this. So I know one thing we've talked about for a long time, maybe not us in particular, but, but on the show we had before, it's that – 
if if the PJ Tour had a an option for like a pay per view where you could just listen to the guys cuss and be unfiltered, a lot of us would would pay that money to be able to watch that. And on Saturday, in particular, live I heard uh, Brooks Kepka and Patrick Reed both say some very explicit things with their golf ball. And you know the, the the announcers kind of blew it off. You know, it's like, oh well, I don't think he's very happy with that shot. And so, do you think that the live trying to be golf louder, more fun? Do you think they'll kind of like obviously they're not going to tell their players just go out and cuss at their ball, but do you think that they're going to try to maybe embrace that a little more just because the tour's been so against that stuff, especially with fines and all that? Well, here's the deal: live is player friendly, T Dub, and that's the thing is. These players aren't scared of the ramifications if their caddy is mic'd up, right? On the PGA Tour, if that happened, Brooks Kepka is getting fined for getting mad at a golf ball, right? And so it's a player-friendly tour, and I think that you see that over and over again, that it can make golf more fun when they aren't scared of the ramifications that come with things like that. And I think that there's certain aspects of it. It's not unfiltered, right? They aren't wanting guys to just go drop F-bombs every chance that they get, but you get the real experience watching live. It's like you're there in person. I completely agree, Sam. So just just looking at the future schedule now, because I think it's interesting because a lot of people are talking about the next live event and all that, and a lot of people act like it's next week, and it's it's not going to take place until uh, September 2nd through the 4th. It's going to be up at uh, at the International Course up in Boston. So we, we talked a lot, Sam, about after the FedEx Cup, we think there's going to be a max exodus of uh, uh, players leave. So uh, Boston would be the first, uh, type, uh, first event to see the new players, whoever does decide to end up going. So just kind of give us a little small preview for what you think is going to happen at Boston. Are we going to have just a, a numerous amount of, of the uh, the elites in golf over there? What do you expect to see at the next live event? I think it's going to be really interesting to see what guys do after the FedEx Cup, right? Because I don't think that we're going to have the same field that we had here at Bedminster. Even though it was the best field in golf this week, T-Dub, it's going to be an even better field in Boston, and I don't think it's going to take until next year for these guys to go over. I think they're waiting for the FedEx Cup to finish. I think guys like Cam Smith are going to go. I think guys like a Cantlay is going to go. I think, you know, there's certain guys that are going to go, and it's going to be big hits to the PGA Tour, right, T-Dub? I, I, from everything that we've been hearing, I, that seems like what is going to be the case. And who knows, maybe even have more names that go over there seeing the success that, that the uh, that the live event had had yesterday and this past week. And But one thing I do want your opinion on, Sam, let's, we're going even further out into here because I think right now with the events being on, in the United States has kind of at least made it for us a lot more easier to – to, and, and everyone's going to try to who hates the live is going to try to think of the off the course stuff. But do you think maybe not in particularly when the event in Bangkok is there, but especially when the live event is is at the uh, the Royal Greens Golf and Country Club in Saudi? Do you think that that's when maybe even more of the human rights and all that stuff is going to start picking up for the haters out there? Maybe, but were we saying that when Harold Barter won earlier this year? No, absolutely it's not. It's a big deal because it's just a big deal because it's a convenient excuse for the PGA Tour. Went once the live became a competitor. When Harold Varner won in Saudi, what were they doing? They were pumping that video out of him making that long putt to win and showing how great it was. 
And that was in Saudi Arabia, T-Dub. And, and I, I'm sick and tired of the hypocrisy of this whole situation. And, and you know what? It's just I, I'm trying to prognosticate the best I can and go into the future. And I, I just I truly think that that's what's going to happen because once you get them on, on the Saudi soil, it's kind of like, like when Biden a couple weeks ago went there. You know, that's when people finally started to get a little bit more attention. So once you set foot over there, I think that's when, like I said, the haters, and in particular, I think the Golf Channel is, is just going to, to, pick, to pick it apart. And I, I hope it doesn't happen, but I don't think that the, the civil war in golf is going to go away anytime soon. But if it did, I think everything would be better. So before we move on to the Rocket Mortgage, Sam, just give us some closing thoughts on the live. Anything that we hadn't tackled yet or anything else you want to highlight? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've got to mention Mike Heinen. Jerry Colt mentioning Mike Heinen, Nick Heinen's dad. By the way, congrats to Nick Heinen. I mean, huge payday for him. He's having the time of his life. He's happier than I've ever seen him in his life. And I know I've known him since high school. So getting to see Nick Heinen out there gapping up Phil Nicholson and Greg Norman and caddying uh, for Matt Wolf, who's playing great golf again. I, I couldn't be happier for him. But it was, it was a funny a funny little thing when Jerry Fultz mentioned Mike Heinen, and then he comes back on later, and he's like, no, that was the wrong Mike Heinen. Actually, uh, the one I was talking about was from Louisiana, the inventor of the power phase. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the way, by the way, Mike Heinen, Nick's dad, does hit a nice little power phase. So it was pretty ironic. That is great, and it's always cool when, you know, because like you said, obviously you grew up with him a lot more than I did, but still played a lot of junior golf, and I played him particularly with Alec, Nick's, uh, Nick's older brother, and that's just a great family there, Sam, it truly is, so Absolutely. it's great to see the the success they're having. So before we get on to the Rocket Mortgage, which I do think was, by and me and Sam both agree, was probably the second best event this year, I want to tell everyone about the end Alzheimer's scramble going out at Oak Tree on August 29th. You get to play some great golf at a great golf course. That's hashtag ALZ. that's E-N-D-A-L-Z, Shotguns start at 9 o'clock. Breakfast and lunch are both included. It's going to be a great time at a great for a great cause at a great place. You can call Tyler Marks to get your team reserved today. That's 405-205-0662. Once again, that's 405-205-0662 to get your spot in the tournament to fight uh, end, ending all tournaments. That's hashtag ENDALZ. So, Sam, now that we've kind of gotten over what I, what we just said was the best of the year, let's get on to the Rocket Mortgage. And I do think it, it is something that we do need to highlight because Tony Fino is on a pretty incredible run right now. I mean, he won by five shots this week, won by four or five uh, the week before at the 3M, two kind of lackluster events. But at the same time, you got and win, and, and he did beat Patrick Cantlin and Cameron Young, two guys that have been playing some, some really good golf. So just kind of give us your thoughts on uh, everything at the Rocket Mortgage, Sam. My overall thoughts, T-Dub, is that Tony Finau right now might be the best ball striker in the world these past couple of weeks. He the green, T-Dub. Last week, he gained three and a half shots on the field, tee to green, one and a half off the tee, and one and a half strokes gained approach. So I thought that, you know, Tony Finau, all he needs to do, T-Dub, is putt decent. This week, he putted great, 26 under, five under in the final round. Um, Obviously, Pendrith didn't have a great day, shoots even par. Um, but it, it was a heck of a leaderboard there at, for the top three, right? And then and then you get down and it's some, you know, journeyman, right? And and I that's why I think that Liv is so much better. But I will give the PGA Tour its props. Tony Finau, Patrick Cantlay, Cam Young were the three best players in the field this week, and they finished one and tied for second. And, you know, Sam, I find it interesting. So I'm scrolling through here, and everyone ex- that finished inside the top eight, except for one person, gain more than 0.8 shots on the green. And in my opinion, that's a testament to a course that is not one that you're just going to be able to 
to ball strike your way around it. Obviously, everyone up there was good in ball striking, but at the same time, you had to be able to make those putts to, to be able to get up there. And so, I don't know, from what I watched a little bit of it, kind of coming down the stretch, it wasn't that case. But on the first few days, it seemed like I was watching a glorified putting contest a lot of times because the course didn't really have a whole lot of trouble. It was pretty flat. There wasn't a whole lot of undulation. Everything was straight was straight in front of you, that kind of thing. So, But I do agree, Sam. The, 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 the three guys that played the best this week were definitely up there. And Pendriff had it absolutely rolling the first few days. You know, you mentioned his bad round yesterday shooting even. Just to put that in perspective, I have to go all the way down. I can go all the way down to 30th place, and there was only one player inside that was better than 30th who shot who didn't shoot under par. That would have been Taylor Pendriff and Adam Svensson were the only two, and Svensson finished uh, 24th at 12 under par. So it definitely was a birdie fest, and it was kind of a little bit more of a putting contest than I, than I would have liked. I, I like Bedminster in the sense of it was more of a challenge. You had to hit a lot more shots out there. It seemed like this was a course to where you could just bomb it. A lot of the bombers were just able to cut the corners in that kind of thing but I do agree I'm not going to absolutely just rip the tournament I, I just think that it was not it's not the best test but guess what that's been how the PGA Tour has been for all these years and people have tried to make it out to be like these off the wall random events are what make the PGA Tour and it's not and they will never be the case these are almost essentially just placeholders so that we have an event every week but I will say this about Tony Fina, Sam you're exactly right on the ball strike and we kind of mentioned this yesterday on the radio show but I didn't want to put it more into perspective here on the podcast it's and ever since the Valero Texas Open, which was the week before the Masters, the first week in April, there's only been one event that he did not gain strokes gain approach. And I'm not talking just a little bit. Every week it's been .55, .63, 1.35, 1.37. The last two weeks where he's won, 1.74, 1.42. It's it's just absolutely unbelievable. Then off the tee as well, he gained 1.41 off the tee, 1.02 at the 3M off the tee, and then only one other event, the U.S. Open, where he missed the cut. He did not gain strokes off the tee, but the putting has been what's let him down. But the last few weeks, Sam, been able to get that putter rolling. So do you think that Finau is going to be someone who – is he going to keep this run going, or is he just going to be a continual guy who's just streaky throughout his career, where if he gets on run, he's going to win, but but his bad spots, he's going to miss cuts. What do you see the, the future for Finau? I think that he's learning how to win when he is putting well. I think we've seen him in the past putt well and not win. Now he's learning how to win when he's putting well. Let me go through, uh, you know, since the Farmers Insurance Open, T-Dub, he's gained – Shots on the field putting seven times, right? And let me go through those finishes, right? He won the walk Rocket Mortgage. He won the 3M. He won, or he finished tied for 28th at the Open. He finished second at the RBC. He finished fourth at the Charles Schwab. Um, and he finished second at the Mexico Open and tied for 29th at the Valero Texas Open. When he puts well, he, he finishes well, T-Dub. And so... Now, those good finishes are turning into great finishes these last couple of weeks. And I think that, yes, he will always be a streaky player just because of the putting. But it's it, it kind of turning the tide for fists into wins. I, I think that's a really good analysis there, Sam. Because, you know, ever since Scotty Scheffler won at, at the Waste Management, kind of opened his floodgates, you know, everyone thinks that if someone wins once, that's going to be exactly what happens to them. And Finau had been that way. You know, he won last year at the play and at the first playoff event at Liberty National, and that really propelled him. That solidified his spot into the Ryder Cup. And then it seemed like after the Ryder Cup, Sam, he kind of started to dip off a little bit. And obviously, the putter was the main thing. He was, I believe, almost 200th or maybe even outside of the top 200 at one point in putting. So it was absolutely terrible. But it does go to show that he's been able to work on that putting, get it a little bit better because the first few events of the year, Sam, 
He, he was losing .51, .72, 3.2 at the Farmers on the Greens. It's just absolutely putrid, but he's been able to turn that around while getting his ball striking, not only to, to keep it where it was, but to even get it a little bit better. So I, I think Finau's going to have a very good end to his year. I think he's going to be a force uh, to watch out for in the playoffs. But one, one guy I do want to highlight, Sam, uh, I want to make sure we don't forget this. Taylor Moore finished solo six yesterday, uh, finished 19 under for the tournament, shot 65-66 on the weekend. He's now essentially assured him a spot in uh, for next year on his tour card. He's actually positioned himself fairly well to get into maybe the second playoff event. Currently 676th, uh, Sam. So after uh, the top 125 will make the very first uh, playoff event, and the second playoff event will be the top 70 um, after the first one, which I believe is at uh, at TBC Southwind in Memphis. So, Sam, really good stuff from a local guy. Taylor Moore. No doubt. And Sneaky's made five cuts in a row, T-Dub. He finished top 25 at the Barbersaw and the John Deere, then finishes sixth here at the Rocket Mortgage. Um, this was the first tournament of Taylor Moore's career where he gained shots in every category, T-Dub, this week. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And you, that's what you want to see, right? Because it's so hard whenever you get out there your first year on tour, unless you're just an absolute world beater. It, it, it's so hard to, to not have that pressure of thinking what's going to happen the next year, a couple of years. You know, a lot of guys can take that pressure off by winning an event because you get the automatic uh, two-plus year exemption. But Taylor Moore is on a great track. Like you said, the last couple of weeks, Sam, he's been gaining strokes, gain approach. In the last four events, he's gained strokes uh, off the tee. So I really like what, what Taylor Moore's got going on. I think that he'll have a very good first playoff event and potentially get him uh, into the second one as well. But another guy, Sam, this was actually your one-and-done pick. Very nice pick. Cameron Absolutely. Young finished tied second. This kid... Even though I'm already done in the one-and-done. <laughs> well, you know, it, they're, they're, the last few playoff events are big, and there is a, a playoff segment, so you could go ahead and, and win that, and you'll be good. But, but Sam, first of all, you know, we didn't have you on last time, so tell us what you saw in Cameron Young before the week that made you want to pick him. And now back-to-back second-place finishes uh, going back to the Open, and then he finished, he finished obviously, third at, at, at uh, Southern Hills at the PJ Championship, finished second at the Wells Fargo, third at the RBC. This kid is starting to become one of the best players in the world right before our, or right before our eyes. Absolutely, and he's kind of turning into a little bit of always the bridesmaid, never the bride teed up. I hate to say that for a rookie, but, I mean, look at his last, you know, 10 finishes, right? I mean, he has a second at the Rocket Mortgage, second at the Open, third at the PGA, second at Wells Fargo, you know, RBC finished third, uh, second at the Genesis. And so he's going to break through eventually. And, and T-Dub, I mean, Davis Riley is my guy, my boy. But I have to say that Cam Young just solidified Rookie of the Year, T-Dub. And what I see in his game, what makes him so great, is that he is up there with the Rory McIlroy's of the world in driving the golf ball. He gains one and a half shots on the field consistently off the tee. T-Dub, he is amazing off the tee. Yeah, you, you know how, like, for example, at the British Open, if there's a guy leading by five or six shots with a few holes left. They go ahead and, and start uh, itching, etching his name under the trophy. They already done that for Cam Young. He, he's gotten that rookie of the year sewn up. And, and you're exactly right with the driver. I, in my opinion, he may be the best driver in the world currently. Just his last few events, I'll go ahead and read this off. 1.29 strokes gain off the tee, 1.36, 1.83, 1.5, 1.15, 1.31, 1.5. It's off weeks, it's, it's .95. And I mean, don't get me wrong, there are <laughs> there are a couple events in there, like the Players and the Scottish Open, he had some uh, fairly bad driving weeks. But at the same time, that's two out of 
15, 20 events or whatever, and everyone, it's if he if he's gaining strokes, it's just monumental the strokes he's gaining off the tee. He hits it so far and, and so straight. It's just that's something that no one's gonna be able to take away from him. And it's just I hope that because he's got the the pause at the top now. There's been some stuff about Hideki's trying to take the pause out uh, of his swing a decent amount. So I hope that Cameron Young still sticks to what's been working for him, Sam. Because I, I understand it's a pretty long aggravated pause at the top, but he gets so much speed and he stays in posture so well through the shot that that that's just a swing that I don't think, unless the pause gets a little too extreme, is going to break down under pressure. Absolutely. And you asked why I picked him in the one and done T Dub, and it was because I had already picked. Now and Cantlay, and he was the third best player in the field, in my opinion. And ironically, they finished one, two, three in the golf tournament. Uh, T Dub, I do have to ask you a question about Detroit Golf Club. Um, T Dub, we've heard a lot about exhibitions lately and what is considered an exhibition. To me, year in, year out, Detroit Golf Club is a pitch and putt, and it's more of an exhibition than watching a 54 hole tournament on a really hard golf course like Bedminster. I mean, once again, I feel like anyone that keeps saying these things, Sam, just isn't watching both products. And it's well, what's so funny about it, too, is like people have been criticizing golf coverage for years, right? I mean, years. This has been something that has been on the table for, for the, as far as I can remember going back to, from watching golf. And now all of a sudden, if you would just have on paper what is going on with the live, it's it's very easy to access through YouTube and the internet. I understand there's some people who don't understand that, but it's very easy to find once you can do it. There's no commercials. There's so many things about it that, that are great. And people, like, for example, the exhibition thing, and, and people will call it a scramble and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, are they giving three-footers out here? Or does everyone have a mulligan? I mean, like, I don't understand what people are freaking thinking, Sam. It's just – but I, I completely agree. I think that you just look at the two tests of golf, and it's it's not, really not close, in my opinion. It's I, and, night and day. It, it, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm just tired of the argument, T-Dub, and I hate to keep beating a dead horse with this, but we hear it week in, week out, especially on my Twitter mentions that I, I have – Bowed to myself, I am done responding to everybody that just rips me on Twitter anytime I say anything good about Liv. But one thing that I hear a lot is this dumb argument that the Liv is only going against bad PGA Tour events. Well, obviously, that should be the obvious business plan, right? I mean, <laughs> obviously, they're not going to start up a tour and go up against the, the Memorial. But they are going up against the John Deere's of the world and, and the rocket mortgages of the world. And and they are blowing those weeks out of the water. And I think that that's kind of what Taylor Gooch is talking about when he's saying, I don't want to have to go waste a week of my life just to try to make a small paycheck compared to what he can make on the live. Right. Well, you know, there's a reason that whenever I brought up earlier that the next event was going to be a month away in Boston, there's a reason for that because they're not playing an event during the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's just because they understand what it would be like to coincide with the two tours. And the PJ Tour has no idea how to comprehend that. And I, I don't know, Sam, it's just at a point now to where like, I feel like anyone that's saying bad things or just like even Brandon Chambly or anyone out there, they're just screaming at air at this point. It's like it's not going to hold any validity. It's not going to change anything. Things are going to keep going the way that they are. It's just the PJ Tour is going to have to accept it because if not, because like you said, the Live has done that because they're not trying to compete against what the PJ Tour is claiming to be their best products. And obviously, the Live's not competing with majors or anything like that. So I definitely think you're onto something there, Sam, because the Live has that part of it figured out. Because if they truly 
really wanted to just say, you know, F the PGA Tour and we'll do everything we can to make it off. They, w- they would try to put those big events on the weeks of, like you said, the Memorial Honor Palmer's Tournament. But at the same time, too, those those tournaments are famous for they are, for how they are because of the people who orchestrated those events. Like, like that's Jack Nicholas' tournament, that's Arnold Palmer's tournament. So there's a little bit of golf history and golf tradition that you have to appreciate to not go against things like that. So And I, I think that, and who knows, maybe next year that may be entirely different with the 14 uh, event schedule, but I don't think it will be. I think that it's going to turn into kind of what we're seeing now. we got five events that are in the fall, Sam. The next five events, the next one's in September, the first week of September, but the last one is essentially Halloween weekend in Miami. So we're going to have a pretty busy uh, you know, few weeks there. And I think that at the end of the day, that was done essentially to be what they wanted to be was, was the fall series of the PGA Tour. And the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan said, absolutely not. We're going to go down that road. And it's going to – looks like it's going to come back and bite them, Sam. And, and T-Dub, remind me, what are the playoffs called on the PGA Tour? Uh, FedEx Cup playoffs. Oh, the FedEx Cup playoffs. You mean the FedEx, the same FedEx that pumped $1.5 billion into Saudi Arabia in 2021. I just wanted to put that out there. But, and by the way, speaking of Monaghan, if he's smart, right now Monaghan would be considering a merger between the Live and the PGA Tour before the PGA Tour loses their asses on this deal and then Monaghan becomes a GOAT in a bad way for the rest of his career. There's, you know, saying there's so many ways that this thing can go. And we're going to get into a little bit more of it after the break. We have a nice Davis Love quote that just absolutely shook the people, <laughs> people like us. I mean, just one of the dumbest things of all time. So we'll get a little bit more into that. And we've got a lot of uh, local news out there as well. We'll highlight the State Am and some U.S. Junior stuff as well. Kid was eight up with, uh, was Dormy eight and ended up only winning by three. So it ended up being very interesting. So make sure to stay with us on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing mccray roofing is oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist for years jeff mccray and the experienced team at mccray roofing and exteriors have served fellow oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs mccray roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service security and protection you need from the unpredictable oklahoma weather McCray Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McCray Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McCray Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McCrayRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Official Podcast, Golf Oklahoma. Me and Sam having a great time here with Colby and Woody both out of the office. But, uh, you know, like I said, having a great time here. Just covered the live and the Rocket Mortgage first segment. We've got a lot more to get into with the Davis Love quote and stuff. But, but Sam, and we'll also talk about the U.S. Junior as well. Very big event going on. But let's go ahead and get with the, the local news that was going on. Sam, we had some uh, very impressive junior golfers do some great stuff this past week. Yeah, we did. We had Jenny Roller, shocker there, uh, finished tied for second along with uh, respectively Grant Gudgel, uh, finished tied for second also. And get this, the Gateway First Bank of Tulsa Jr. presented by Bo Van Pelt. That is the <laughs> longest name for a golf tournament that I've ever heard. Uh, but it was at the Oaks Country Club, uh, and Grant Gudgel, who just committed to Oklahoma State, won the 6A 
Boys State Championship for high school this year. Uh, finished this tie for second in that event. Jenny Roller, who is going to the University of Tulsa, who also won her state championship uh, this year by a record margin, um, it finished tied for second in that. So I had to mention that before we got to any other junior golf. And it's it's just so great to to see these young kids. And we got to meet Jenny Roller at the uh, the banquet that was on Tuesday night of the of the PJ uh, the PJ Championship. And just what an impressive uh, young woman she is. The speech that she gave what was something you expect from a Nobel Prize winner. And, and she's what 17, 18 <laughs> years old or something like that. It was just remarkable right. to see. And so you know, I was sitting there with Maury Rose at the time, and we were both just in amazement. Like, man, this this young lady is so impressive. And I'm sure uh, Grant Gudgel is the exact same way. Love to see these great players staying loyal to the soil, as I like to say both of them, like you said, going to, to in-state schools, which is really cool. Now, Sam, I've never gotten the opportunity to play the Oaks uh, Golf Club. Tell me a little bit about it. What kind of game do you need to get around there? Uh, it's an old-school type golf course. It's one of the most underrated courses in Oklahoma to me. I know my uh, my good buddy, Matt Mabry, he plays out there now. I know that my old coach, Coach Brogdon, uh, the legend, he plays out there a lot. It's kind of an old school type golf course, one that you might see more in like a Kansas City, you know, that it really old school and, and kind of um, just what you see is what you get. Uh, they do have a little pitch and putt three course over there too as well. It's a really nice, if you ever get the chance to go out there, you should definitely take it. Yeah, we have this talk all the time, right, about what what's better, the Oklahoma City or the Tulsa courses, and we're both kind of unanimous with a sense of Tulsa probably has better private golf courses, but the city has better public courses. But at the same time, both of them are just absolutely spectacular when it comes to uh, the overall options uh, that they have as well. So really, really good stuff there from the from the juniors. And we also got a little bit more uh, local news, Sam. Uh, Bill Alcorn was, and, and you may have the technical term in front of me, I don't know. I know that he was promoted by Ryan Hibble. Within he was the, promoted? Yep, promoted to associate head coach by Ryan Hibble. I mean, and that's just absolutely great stuff. So, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit on the radio show what it would mean, and, and I just said, at the end of the day, you gotta you got to trust what Ryan Hibble's doing. He hasn't made any essentially any wrong steps in, in the 12 or 13 years that he's been there so far. So you got to uh, you got to approve of that decision there. What it means from maybe a leadership standpoint, I'm not exactly sure. Job duties uh, for Mr. Alcorn, not exactly sure on that either. But at the same time, you know that it makes a testament that he's doing such a great job because you got to think that you know look at look at Ryan Hibble where he came from he came from the University of Georgia an assistant golf coach so if you if these other programs want to get great future college coaches they got to get the assistance from the best courses around I think this move in particular Sam it probably locks down uh, the fact that maybe Bill Alcorn's not going to go to another another university within the next couple years or so this may be able to keep him there for a few more years when they're for sure on the steady run of contending for national titles every year. Right, and I think that the main thing that an assistant coach helps a head coach with in golf especially is the, the recruiting aspect of it. And who has been the best in recruiting in college golf over the past five years or so? It's been Oklahoma. And, and I think that Bill Alcorn had a lot to do with that. I would hope, T-Dub, that him being promoted to associate head coach would mean that he's just getting a pay raise by job title instead of uh, Hibble maybe wanting to leave. I don't know where he would want to go, right? I hope that Hibble's not leaving. No, I would I would think the odds of that happening are extremely slim. And the fact that 
uh, you know, Ryan Hibble is still a very young guy. I understand he's been coaching for, for 13, 15 years, whatever whatever it's been now. But, I mean, he's still in very, very great shape too. And this is not a thing that – no, he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. But I do think this is a thing that that can solidify uh, what Oklahoma golf is, keeps on doing. In the future, if you want to solidify what your teeth have going on, make sure to check out our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. They go out of their way to ensure that all treatment is as comfortable as possible. They have leading-edge technology. They do absolutely everything. Implants, clear liner orthodontics they got you covered all decisions are made by the patient if they can't show why treatment is needed they won't prescribe it they explain their opinion and answer any questions but they ultimately leave all decisions to the patient so make sure to go see our friends at ring family dentistry sam i brought it up just a second ago the u.s junior at bandon dunes was one of the most crazy golf tournaments i had seen in some time, we had uh, uh, Wendy Winyi Ding uh, uh, from China was actually the first uh, Chinaman to win the U.S. Junior. Pretty crazy uh, stat there, that but surprises me. And and Sam, he was he was up on. A, I'm trying to load it right here. I can't get it. The uh, the kid who's Caleb gonna, Surratt. Caleb yeah. Surratt, yes, going to uh, going to Tennessee. Going to be a freshman there. I think uh, Tennessee may be working on something there when it comes uh, to the uh, future of college golf for for what they have to say. But Winyi Ding, up until I believe the. 28th or 29th hole had not made a bogey in, in the final match. And for anyone listening who, who doesn't know, the, the finals of the U.S. Junior and like the USAM and all that, they'll play 36 holes. That's the reason we say 30th, 31st hole, whatever it may be. So uh, Ding was actually Dormy 8 at one point, Sam. And that's about the time that I turned it on because the coverage started at 5 o'clock our time. They were playing a little bit later with it being on the West Coast. And by the time I flipped over, they only had about nine holes left. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to get to see a whole lot here. Well, <clears throat> sure enough, I was proven wrong pretty quick because that match all of a sudden looked like it was going to end on about uh, 11 or 12, Sam. Made its way all the way to 16. Ended up, Ding ended up winning 3-2 and two, um, in the match and actually kind of almost got handed uh, on the hole on 16. Uh, definitely thought that, uh, what, what's the kid's name again, Sam? I can't get this to pull up. Caleb Surratt. By the way, T-Dub, out of those five holes, I think uh, Caleb Birdie. Uh, what was it? Four of them, right? Four of them, maybe even all of them. You know, one of the holes was like um, Ding was on a par three and he chipped it over the green twice. So at that point, you can see that the thirty footers automatically given that type of thing. So it says he made a birdie, but but at the same time, you know, it, he was still playing great golf. And what he was doing was he was applying the pressure because. All Ding had to do was win one hole, or, or I'm sorry, tie to tie one tie one hole. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, all he had to do was tie, and and Surratt was able to put it in there close on the green, like on I believe it's 12, the par three. He had to make a 15 footer to keep the match going. He buried it just straight in the heart of the hole. It was really, really impressive. And, you know, I think it just goes to show that I understand things can look down. You know, they were showing Surratt walking up the fairway when he was essentially down seven, down eight. And you could tell his body language wasn't there. You know, he wasn't really into it. But that started to change after he won a couple of holes and got back into it because all of a sudden you're down eight, but then you get it down three going into 16. And he made one of the most mental mistakes that, I, that I've that i seen in some time. He was, for anyone who wasn't watching, so he had 16's a drivable par four. A ding had already hit a shot. He had about an eight-footer for birdie. So at that point, you have to think Surratt has to get this up and down to solidify that, that he's going to uh, to move on. And he may even have to hold it at that point because Dean could have easily made his eight-footer to move on. But... It was one of those shots to where you you had to carry the bunker, you had to spin it, so you had to nip the ball. Uh, you weren't able to hit much of a bump and run, but instead he decided to go left of the bunker. Sam took like a gap wedge, maybe a pitching wedge, and hit this shot 
that had there was no way in hell you were ever going to make it with with this shot. The best you were going to do if you had a perfect speed was end up five feet left of the hole, and that was absolutely a horribly wrong shot to play. And Sam, it was just so distraught for me because. The kid had played so well those last few holes, making it all those birdies, like you said. And then for him to essentially lose on what I think was a mental mistake was, was pretty tough to watch, honestly. Yeah, and T-Dub, it was just one of those situations where Surratt just kind of buried himself in too big of a hole, right? And, and that's exactly right, because at that point, you didn't want yourself any any room for error. And that's exactly what he did. He made an error, and, and it cost him very extensively. And... I'll say this, you know, you, you're going to look at the, the first few holes. He was actually, Surratt was two up through three, believe it or not. And and it ended up being eight down at one point. So that goes to show how crazy match play can be. And especially when when, when Ding had gone the almost the entire match with not making a bogey. Started making some bogeys when, when he all he needed to do was tie just because uh, the, the, the conundrum of the match is so different. But at the same time, that's the last thing you want to play in, in match play, Sam, truly, because you have to make birdies to, to, to get even up. And even if you make birdies, you may not. But if you make any mistake, you make a bogey at all, you're going to lose a hole. And then, like, one of the best things about match play is, like, if you can make a double or triple, it's not going to bite you up that bad. But whenever you're going against someone who's that steady and is that repetitive and you know that you're just going to have to go out there and win it, it, it makes it to where you have to be on top of You have to be on your A game in almost every single facet. And Surratt was not that for the course of the match. He was for about five holes, but unfortunately you're going to need it a, a little bit more than that. But speaking of match play, Sam, me and Woody talked about it a little bit because we recorded while the final match was going on. But but one of the best guys in the world, Ian Davis, ends up coming back for his, as you quoted it yesterday, his amateur career 2.0 is, is off to a record right. start. Winning the state in Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. We actually were able to interview him yesterday on the 73rd hole radio show. What what a great honor that was. And like I said, what a nice guy. But Sam, what are just overall thoughts on Ian Davis uh, hoisting the state am trophy? I mean, he might have one of the most storied amateur careers, T-Dub. I don't know if you realized this before the radio show yesterday, but he won the OGA Junior Boys Championship in 2010 at Kicking Bird. I don't know how many. I'd have to look it up, but there can't be that many guys that won the, the Oklahoma Junior and the Oklahoma Amp. No, I think you're exactly right on that. I believe I, I actually played in that uh, in that match that you were talking about. Had I won, had I won my morning match of that event, I would have actually played Ian Davis in, in the second round. So it, it may have been a blessing that that I didn't win that match because it sounded like I would have got my ass kicked because he was on a legendary run <laughs> of, of mass proportions. And you're exactly but, right. But T Dub, I mean, just going back to the golf this week of it. I mean, on Tuesday, he had to battle Mike Hearn in 20 holes and, and one in 20 holes. And then he defeats Austin Schmidt of Tulsa, two and one. That's not an easy match. And then Jacob Prentice, uh, uh, who defeated Kyle Huddleston, Kyle Huddleston in uh, the semifinals. Yeah, shout out K Hud. Uh, but he, but Ian Davis goes on to beat Jacob Prentice only one up in the finals. And Ian kind of talked about it in our interview with him yesterday. Um, on the radio show talking about how, yeah, he was probably a big favorite to beat some of these guys, but those matches were anything but easy. And I feel like, too, Sam, you know, I haven't been on a, a lot of them by any stretch, but it seems like on the the good match play tournaments that I had, it's 
like if you win four or five matches, you're very rarely do you win those matches all like five and four, right? You're gonna have one match in there that that takes you down to the wire, and you're gonna have to be able to uh, to have your minerals. And and I can't remember if it was the the elite eight or the sweet sixteen match that Ian was talking about, but he said he was two down with two to play, and he was able to uh, to win in, in nineteen holes, which is you have to win three straight holes coming down a stretch to not lose in, in the state am. That that just shows the testament that he has, and at the same time, you know the main point. I'm trying trying to make from that is that just builds momentum going into the future match. It's very similar to, you know, like if you're playing an 18-hole round and you make a par save, uh, a 10-footer for par on the fourth hole or something like that, that's going to bode really strongly for the future uh, of your round in particular. And that's something that a lot of people just look at and say, oh, okay, he made a par or whatever. But that's the the energy that you take from that is extremely important. I think that's exactly what Ian did on, on those Tuesday matches where where he just had to come down the wire so much. And it's like when you're that good of a player and you win tight matches like that because you know they're going to come, you have the confidence to be able to go into the semifinals uh, where he won two and one and then into the final match where, where he won one up. So it's just, I, to me, Sam, I think that that's where it, it, it was earned. I know anyone will say that because you have to win every single match. But winning close matches, even though it takes a lot out of you mentally, those are the things you have to do to be able to advance at far in tournaments like this. You're 100% right, T-Dub, and I want to get to two more things about the State Am. First, I thought the greatest story, um, other than Ian winning, was the fact that Gellerman, Michael Gellerman, shout out Bob, happy birthday, by the way, was on the bag for Ian Davis, and we talked to him during that interview on the radio show. By the way, listen to the radio show, and you'll get more content like this, because we're not playing uh, the interview on the podcast, because we want you guys to listen to the radio show, but what he said about Gellerman was, it's pretty good when your caddy can beat you, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. So I, I thought that was big time um, that Gellerman was on the bag. Also, T-Dub, I got to get into this story, and we asked Ian about it also. I've never heard of a player driving into a bunker, especially in the final match of the State Am. Jacob Prentice drives into a bunker? So, so yes. For, so, for the guys that didn't listen to the radio show, and I'm paraphrasing here on the story, essentially, Ian and Bob were st- for standing on nine tee box getting ready to go. And they look over, and, and I don't know what they said, um, that the, the who was driving. Was it the player or the caddy that was driving? From what I understand, I I'm, can't remember. They said they were discussing a shot, and Ian said that Bob looked at him and said, look at that, they're in the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you, you all, you expect, that's what they say in match play. You always expect the unexpected, right? But that is literally the definition of, of unexpected. But that but you're exactly right, Sam. Those are the stories uh, that you get when you listen to the radio show. So Ian Davis ended up winning one up over over Jacob Pinterest and you know I, I kind of want to want to talk about this a little bit too I talked about with Woody some um on on Wednesday Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club great golf course where do you think it ranks amongst maybe not even just Oklahoma courses in particularly but Perry Maxwell as, as because that's one of his kind of staples as a golf course where would you rank Oklahoma City in his echelon of courses yeah, I listened to your guys show while I was on vacation and I thought you guys were right on the money it's not to take away from Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, and I, I haven't played it since the re, uh, restoration or redesign or whatever they want to call it. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm kind of speaking out of pocket here. But you know, as far as Perry Maxwell goes, I mean, Southern Hills is the top of the top. Um, Dornick Hills, obviously, even Twin Hills, I would put right in that category, kind of with Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. Um, but when I think of an OKC Golf and Country Club, I, I just think of old school. You've got to hit your irons well. 
Um, and, and especially I played in a, a stadium out there one time and you, you have to putt well out there. Those greens are always fast and, and really that they have some interesting undulations out there. So you have to play, it's a target golf course. You got to be on the correct side of the fairway. You got to hit your irons well and you got to make putts. And I think it, it was a great test. Uh, for match play now where it ranks is kind of subjective I, I would rank it a little down the list as far as not only Perry Maxwell courses but private courses in Oklahoma I, I, I just think there's some better options there but it's not to take away from it right and, and you know that's the thing that we want to emphasize right it's we were kind of talking yesterday before the radio show about the Madden ratings right and how like for example like that for anyone listening a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans out there you know Dak Prescott was rated as an 89 quarterback ahead of people like Justin Herbert Lamar Jackson all that and I think that's just absolute blasphemy you know but that's that's not that, that's not to say that that Prescott's an absolute horrible quarterback. He's not the 20th best quarterback in the league or 25th or anything like that. It's just he was rated as like the sixth best quarterback, and a lot of people would probably think he's closer to 10th or 11th. And, you know, that's kind of like how we, if we talk about any courses around here, for the most part, it's like there's all great golf courses here. I mean, there's and it's some phenomenal. And I think a lot of times, too, that, that I also want our listeners to know is that, like, a lot of times, especially with me, and I, you're probably the same way, Sam. When we talk about how good a course is, we talk more so about the design of it, right? And I understand you have like Southern Hills in particular, which is going to be always always in phenomenal shape. But but generally, when we look at a course and we're analyzing course, we're talking about how the holes are designed. You know, how how do the green complexes? What what's the bunkers like? What uh, what are the lines off tee? What are you? Are the, is it a visual thing or is it you you have more blind shots stuff like that? So I don't know about you, Sam, but anytime I feel like I'm talking about a course like that, I'm talking about the design of it as a more opposed to the condition of because OKC. Uh, is probably top five, without a doubt, most best manicured course in in the state. Absolutely. And when I think about great golf courses, whether it be in Oklahoma or around the world, I think of, you know, does this course punish bad shots and reward good shots? I think that, you know, maybe a course like a Cedar Ridge or um, something like that, like it might be kind of comparable in Tulsa to Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. I kind of think that, you know, it might punish bad shots more, right? And, and it might reward good shots a little more. But it, it, it's all subjective, T-Dub. And, and so um, we are lucky to have Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. It's just old school, right? It, it, it's just old school. You're absolutely right, Sam. But what is not subjective is our friends over at Quill Creek Bank. Are you a small business owner looking for a bank that understands your unique financial needs? Would you like to develop a relationship with a banker who knows you and your family by name? That's our mission at Quill Creek Bank. We are a family and we consider our customers part of our family too. So come experience the difference at Quill Creek Bank, our family members out there. So absolutely love the great job that they're doing. But Sam, we the, the last thing that we want to talk about here, and it's something that I feel like is very, very important for, for the whole Civil War and with the PJ Tour and the Live. And that is Davis Love III's infamous quotes on what, I don't know if it's necessarily his idea, but it was a very, a very drastic thing that the PJ Tour players could do to combat the Live. And I know this is something you're very opinionated about, so just kind of give us your overall thoughts on the quote, kind of break it down a little bit and just tell us, you know, what may be the ramifications of this. All right, so Davis Love, was asked about, you know, what the majors could do to keep these live guys out of uh, the majors. And he said, well, here's the biggest lever, and it's not the nice lever, but if a group of veterans and a group of top current players align with 150 guys on the tour, on the PGA Tour, and we say, guess what? We're not playing. That solves it, right? 
If the Liz guys play in the U.S. Open, we are not playing. If they sue in court and they win, well, we are not playing. You know, there won't be a U.S. Open. It's just like a baseball strike. To me, T-Dub, this is the dumbest thing that I have ever heard, maybe in my life, T-Dub. A, a strike? Talk about the hypocrisy. Who is really trying to grow the game here, Davis Love? If you do that, that it, growing the game is not coming from the PGA Tour. Liz is wanting guys to coexist and play on both tours. If you, if you try to say, you know, in a U.S. Open, if, if we say we're not playing in the U.S. Open, how is that growing the game whatsoever? And second of all, the U.S. Open, what does Open even mean? And third of all, if they did that for tournaments like the Masters, the women's just going to have their own event. My, my point is that the Masters is never going to, you know, allow guys – are never going to dilute their own product. And, and like he's saying, well, why don't we just strike and not play? Well, what good is that for anybody, right? It, it's the, – the two main things I got from this, Sam, is that it, for anyone who doesn't understand it now, this quote will truly prove it to you. The PGA Tour does not care about the future of overall golf. They care about the future of the PGA Tour. It all comes down to bottom dollar, and this quote and this statement proves it without a shadow of a doubt. And what I think is probably the scarier point of all this, Sam, is what he said in the middle of that. He said, quote, if they sue in court and they win, well, we're not playing. So you know what that shows me? It shows me that whatever happens in the legal battle, yes, they're going to have to end up doing that at the end of the day, but they're still going to fight it, and they're still going to try to think they're taking some moral high ground. So I think that it's going to get so vicious because it seems like that some of the powers that be, if if the court does end up winning, which I think that we all seem like that the live is going to be on the positive side of that, they're going to try everything they can, even still at that point, to make sure that the live gets hurt. And I think that we thought, I, and me personally, I thought that the once the court decision was settled in a couple of years, however long it takes, that 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 is when this would all co- would all just kind of subside and things would a lot be better. But after this quote, Sam, this thing could go on for fifteen to twenty years at this point. And T Dub, I mean, DL three goes on to say he thinks that live golf is going to sue the PGA Tour very soon, as far as like this week, like kind of like they did with the Scottish Open and, and try to let their players play in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, and basically, I think that, you know, that's kind of what we've been saying. Let these guys play on whatever tour they want to play on. But one thing would it be for the PGA Tour, that would be death for the PGA Tour if the Lynn guys were allowed to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs. But for some reason, these tour players just boycott it. That's never going to happen, right? Well, there's, in my opinion, there's literally zero chance that you could get. Because the thing is, is like, there's, there's two elements at it. Not only do you have to get a lot of players to do it, you have to get a lot of big name players to do it. It's very similar to the guys going to live, right? You have to get a lot of them and you have to get the big names. So we said it yesterday on the radio show, and this is the biggest point. Is Tiger going to not play in a major to, to try to boycott the live? Absolutely not. That, that would that would never happen. And that is 
Now, let's say for for some unearthly reason it did happen, then then yes, it, there would be a lot lot of shakeup for sure. But that but ne- that never would happen. Is Rory going to do it? Absolutely not. Not especially if he still has four majors and he needs to win a fifth. There's absolutely no chance of that happening. Justin Thomas isn't going to do it. He's too close to Tiger and, and wanting to get on the major same track because he understand that that's the prestige of it. Is John Rom going to do it? I don't think so. I mean, he seems like he's against the lib, but he doesn't really care. And, and then at that point, we have to see how. Many many people actually go after the tour championship because then at that point if if we hear some of the names that we are hearing the PJ tour to do this would have to get every single one of their good players to do it and and there's no chance you could get every independent contractor on this boat to do something that would literally detriment their careers for the benefit of an organization that hasn't had their back over their entire playing career Sam it's just it's it if if you can't see through the charade at this point with with this quote I, I don't know how to convince you anymore and it's just it proving more to me that the PGA Tour, whether they are paying these guys or brainwashing these guys into taking a stand for the corrupt PGA Tour, it, it, it just blows my mind. I mean, to me, he does imagine a world where you only had live guys eligible for the U.S. Open because the PGA Tour guys are saying we're not going to play. Who does that look bad on from a public perception? That looks bad on the PGA Tour, right? Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, just to put into perspective, so – that they officially came out, right? Have they come out and said that the guys on the live can't play in the President's Cup, or, or has that just been rumor? I don't know if that's official yet or not. I, I'm not sure on that, T-Dub. It's just, I, I keep hearing, you know, like I said, it's so hard to differentiate what's official and what's not. We obviously, the, the stints and stuff, I think, probably escalated those rumors a little bit. And obviously, like you just said, with them suing for the FedEx Cup and stuff. But, but yeah, I think, because that's going to be very interesting because... If the President's Cup decides to not take these guys, especially for the international team, because there's, I mean, Abraham Answer is already one of their best players, and he would be eliminated from that. And then Cam Smith, who's been very rumored, is their best player. So that would be definitely hurting them. So then you have to look at the aspect of going through in the majors. Is the PGA Championship going to find some way to, to ban these guys? Because if they're trying to ban them from the Ryder Cup, Sam, they would have to try to ban them in, that, in the PGA Championship, right? Absolutely, and I'm looking. By the way, Davis Love is the as the Presidents Cup captain this year for the United States. Um, it, I, I'm going through here. I, I, let me look this up real quick, P Dub, uh, about the Presidents Cup because I'm very curious. And it, it, like I said, it's just something that, especially with everything with these news, like like a deck again, four hundred million or whatever. You know, it's just like you hear these rumors and you just never know. And so let's go ahead and I'll go through some of the guys on the President's Cup team. Right now, so Scotty Scheffler is solidly number one. He's not going to go to the lift. Patrick Cantlay, I guess, has been rumored. He's number two. Shoffley, number four, kind of been rumored. Um, let's see who else would be on here. I, in all honesty, Sam, I'm looking at it, and all the guys in the top 12 who you would think would be probably picked aren't on the list because Dustin Johnson and Kepka are, are so far down. They're, they're not on the list. So you're looking at guys like Zalatoris, uh, Max Homa, Morikawa, Spieth, Finau, JT, Shoffley, Sam Burns. So it's it's going to be a very good team. And, and luckily, they're in a position to where they're not going to have to try to, you know, because Dustin Johnson wasn't on a, a magical run like he had been in the past whenever, whenever he jumped ship. So, but you look over at the international side, Sam. I mean, you got, like we mentioned, Cam Smith is, is number one, Hideki number two. So they would be hurting their two best players at, at that point if that were the case. And, you know, I think I'm looking on here, Sam, and like Abraham Answer isn't in the top how many 
any ever on points here. I can't find them anywhere. So it seems like that they may have already cut those guys out of it because I do a command find here, and I cannot find answer on this list at all. So it seems like just based off the point standing, Sam, that at least the international team, let me go back to the United States, but they've uh, they've taken their guys already out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking here, and, and I totally agree with you. It's not going to make that much difference, T-Dub. I don't know if they officially suspended them like the Ryder Cup has done, though. Yeah, so, so I, I go on to, to command find on the U.S. team, and Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka nowhere to be found, not even going all the way down to the top 40, which they obviously would have been up there, guys in 40th and 39th. So clearly, yeah, so Are, clearly they have been suspended. Exactly. So, I mean, that's, so that's another thing. We looked at it. Who knows? They, they may have been up there, but at the same time, it would definitely cause a lot more interruption for the international team than it would the United States team for the President's Cup going to be at, at, at Quill Hollow. Um, but, you know, just the last few things I want to say on, on what Davis Love said is that Let's just say, let's just say this was had some validity to it, and it may actually happen. Which I don't. There's no chance in hell of it happening. But let's just say it did. What would be the main reason for them to do it? Like, what would their reasoning be to boycott? Would they say, "Oh, well, it's because they're taking corrupt money," or would they say it's a rival tour? Because if they say it's just a rival tour, that's such a bad look. You can't even do it. So you have to go on the human rights things of it, but. Like you just mentioned there, the FedEx Cup playoffs is funded by essentially the Saudis in a very big way. So it's it goes back to like what Mike Wan said about not banning the guys for the U.S. Open. It's If you do decide to ban the Saudi guys, well, then all of a sudden you've got to look even further deeper into it and trace back every single one's bank account to figure out who did take corrupt money. Are you going to ban Harold Varner because he went and won the Saudi International earlier this year? I mean, so how far do you want to go into it? And and to me, I think that if, if there was any validity to this, Sam, it wouldn't be able to hold up because there's too there's too much selective morality into it. And I think people are fine. Like, the general populace is starting to actually see that. Absolutely. And on Wednesday, T-Dub, we're going to have a player uh, that has been on both the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tour that I think is going to have a lot more insight into this. But just real quick, I mean, I don't understand – how it would help a, a guy that's ranked, you know, 100 in the world or 80 in the world to go, you know, boycott a PG, boycott a major for sure, but even boycott some tournaments that all the live guys are playing in, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit earlier too where it's, like, for example, when I was watching the Golf Channel on Wednesday and Thursday, right, it's – they they were like previewing they were going to talk about the live and I, I'm like utterly shocked at this point I I don't believe what I'm hearing I feel like I'm in a parallel universe at this point well sure enough I was exactly right because as soon as they flip onto it they don't talk anything about the golf at all they they talk a little bit about the golf course but the main thing they talk about Sam is the 911 protesters and look there there's no way around it I mean it's you can pick anything that's that's sad in the world or any horrible event that's happened and you can try to justify that to be your moral high ground if you want to and for anyone who lost uh, family members in that deal it's absolutely horrific what happened but at the same time it's there's so many layers to it that if you just highlight that one you don't get dig- bigger into the issue and it's sort of like what Phil Mickelson tried to do when he talked to, to Alan Shipnuck but it just got totally and not necessarily, I don't know if it was taken out of context, but it was taken in such a severe way that people weren't able to actually diagnose what he was saying and trying to do because of some of the things uh, that he said. So I, I don't know, Sam. It's just, once again, you're exactly right. People trying to select what they what they want to use horrible events that have happened in the past to be their justification for essentially to make their business model better. And, and at the end of the day, Sam, it kind of makes me sick. 
it, it really does. It, it is pretty thick and twisted that people would bring up nine eleven to try to, you know, uh, be on the PGA Tour side on this deal. For real. I mean, it, it, it really is pretty messed up that people would go there because they are basically saying we are holding golfers to a higher standard than the United States government, which is ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. And then just because of the the conundrum that it is, you have to like, like it's it, like you can't criticize the protesters out there because what they're fighting for actually has very high moral justification. But at the same time, it's just like you said, are they standing outside of the white house protesting? Are they standing outside of the FedEx building? Are they standing outside of Boeing, uh, the, the airline or that basically makes every single plane because Saudi's invested like $800 million into there in the last year. So it's like you said, Sam, it's very selective uh, morality. Well, you right. know, and, and, and it, it's because the PGA tour has such a stranglehold on the golf channel, which is NBC and CBS. And you, all you hear is bad things about live day in, day out that they've done a great job of brainwashing people into basically comparing these golfers to terrorists, and it's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, well, I got got a question to ask you about, because I feel like the biggest thing right now is like we talk about, people are just such haters on it that they're not, they don't ever go look at the product, right? And I understand, (laughs) right? They don't even watch the golf, that's for sure. No, they don't, and then they rip it. So, but my, the main question that I had thinking about was, if Liv does get some sort of TV deal down the works, and and that would be the tough deal because if they did get a TV deal, they would probably have to put commercials in there, and that would be absolutely detrimental to what they've got going on so far. But do you think if they did have a TV deal and had a little bit more exposure to where more people were able to see that it actually is a really good product, do you think that would change people's minds more if that did happen? I mean, yeah, I'm sure it would, and I think that they would probably go the streaming route, whether it be like Amazon Prime, like the NFL is doing, or Apple TV or YouTube TV or something like that. I mean, obviously it's on YouTube, just regular YouTube right now. But, you know, if they had a streaming platform, they're only going to get more eyes to see that this is a great product week in, week out. And they are trying to grow the game. Everything that, you know, Davis Love, Jay Monahan is trying to do, they're trying to keep a stranglehold on the old PGA tour that, you know, it's a nonprofit quote unquote organization that keeps 70% of their money. It's ridiculous. Right. And, and it's, it's just at this point, Sam, it's finally starting to get exposed. That's the thing. It's we've been hearing from the inner circle. PGA tour players have been unhappy with this for going back 30 years now. And it's that what are all the players just cry babies? No, it's, they all have something that solidly justify. I mean, we've heard stories and stuff and it's like, like, from my perspective, I honestly couldn't believe it. And I, I still am that way, and that's why I feel the way I do. And it's like I said, I don't want the PGA Tour to fail. I want them to understand where their weaknesses are and become better. And, in my opinion, the more golf tours we can have around, the better, especially when you're going to play really nice golf courses that give a lot of money out. I think that that's very entertaining, and when you add team elements to it, I just feel like there's so many positives to it that, that the negatives just they should get outweighed by, by the product you're seeing and that just doesn't happen, Sam, at the end of the day, which is which is kind of sad. But I do think it will start to change at some point. But, you know, it's th- this has been absolutely a roller coaster with everything that's gone on with the live. And it's going to get even crazier uh, going down the line. So before we get out of here, Sam, just give us your closing thoughts on the tournament, everything we've talked about. You know, what are you looking forward in the playoffs, stuff like that. Just closing thoughts on the overall show. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the year, we'll look back on this week as a huge statement 
from Hendrick Stinson. And it wasn't like some washed-up guy going out there and winning his first exhibition match. It wasn't that. It wasn't that, T-Dub. He went out there, played the best golf in the field in the best tournament of the week, and went out there the week after dealing with all the distractions of putting in all that effort into trying to be a Ryder Cup captain and doing everything he was asked to do, and then being denied that opportunity after a great career, and then to win that same week and go stick it to the Ryder Cup, I thought it could not have gone greater for Henrik Stinson. That was my final thought of the week. Well, you know, just to, to capitalize on what you said there, Sam, it's like, for example, Dustin Johnson finished tied second or whatever, and he's one of the best players of this generation, and he's been on a little bit of a mini run, finished top 10 at the British Open a couple weeks ago, and Matt Wolf, I understand he's been dealing with his stuff, but he got all the way up to 12th in the world at one point, Sam. I mean, he was on a he was on a track that was like Victor Hovland was on, right? I mean, at some point, people would say that Wolf might have actually been a little bit better than Hovland and could have ended up winning more, especially when he was in the final group in back-to-back U.S. Open. So I, I think that that is kind of getting overlooked in all this, too, that Matt Wolf finally might be starting to get back on that form that he had before uh, before all you know before his stuff started getting even worse. So I expect to see some really great golf uh, coming up from him. But absolutely love the show today, Sam. Uh, really enjoyed it. I, I'm, like I said, I, I love hosting so much that I'm just going to keep the sound equipment here and there's never going to be <laughs> a, a, any change because it's great, you know, getting to cover, you know, every single thing I want to talk about. It, it's absolutely stellar. And just want to thank all of our listeners out there. You guys are the best. I want to thank all of our great sponsors out there. Truly couldn't appreciate you guys anymore. Make sure to tune in on Wednesday. I have a very special guest and we're going to hear get even a little bit more into the live because we know everyone out there loves to hear us from our boy, Saudi Sam. Thank you guys for listening. Make Make sure to tune in on Wednesday on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.